we're going to continue as, as Adrian uh, started off last week with the series of looking uh, f- uh, uh, at Jesus through Old Testament lenses. And this is something that, for me, actually, um, is, is, is a bit personal because I had a, a Jewish professor and he taught Old Testament and, and Hebrew. And his testimony, and I may have shared this before, was simply he studied his Torah, his Jewish uh, Holy Scripture. He studied the Old Testament so much that all he saw, page after page, was Christ. He studied at such depth, at such a level, that all he saw was Jesus. And that brought him to faith and brought him to becoming a Christian. And it's amazing uh, just how it all comes together from beginning to end in the Bible. You know, if we look um, at at a few of these movies, you know, when you look at a movie end to end, and you can sometimes see it and go, there's a lot of plot holes here. You kind of have to suspend your disbelief at how they've got from the beginning to end and and, and how certain things tally up. You know, take E.T., you know, at the start, he's, he, he, he's left behind uh, by, his, by his alien friends. He's getting chased. But then at the end of the film, we realise that he can fly. Like, why didn't he just fly at the start of the film towards his friends? Um, Independence Day, this is a bit of a techie one, but they, they, they decide to, the only way to bring the shields down on the alien ship is with a computer virus. But the, the doctor, the guy, can... Uh, creates that computer virus on a Mac computer. How does a Mac computer talk to or engage with alien technology? That, that, just, doesn't, that just doesn't work. <laughs> Harry Potter. Harry Potter and the Prince of Azkaban. So Harry Potter, I'm sure you all know Harry Potter in, intimately, the stories and the books. But Harry, okay, so Harry Potter, um, his parents die right at the start. Um, of, of, of the books. He's an orphan, hunted by, by a dark wizard. Prisoner of Azkaban is film number three. And at, at, at the end of the film, they realise there's this thing called a time-turner, which Hermione, one of the characters, has been using to basically do a lesson at school, do the time-turner, and then go to another lesson because she's, she's doing so many subjects. Not once in the book or the film does Harry say, could we use that to go back and save my parents? Could, could, we, could we go back and, and, and try and change that history? Not once. And then the last one, this, this one, because I'm a big Star Wars fan, this one really gets me. Episode three of Star Wars, okay? This is when Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. Um, uh, uh, Padme, um, his wife, has two children, Luke and Leia, the twins. And Obi-Wan Kenobi is there and, and, and says, I will protect them, I will keep them safe. What does he do? He takes the twins back to Darth Vader's home planet. He leaves them with people that Darth Vader knows, and he keeps their surname, Skywalker. Like, if, how, how obvious do you want to be to try, you know, Darth Vader, most evil for the galaxy? Oh, we'll just keep, kill them, Skywalker. No one will notice. You know, these, you, know, it happened, you could find out any any film, any film, there's these plot lines. And that, it's just amazing when you look at the Bible. It, it's unnatural, unnatural. It, 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 it transcends human thinking and understanding that you could have this, this narrative throughout, these prophecies from so many different people, from different walks of life over centuries, 
all ultimately pointing towards Jesus Christ. So we're going to look today at uh, another passage in Exodus. It it follows on from Adrian's uh, uh, speaking about the Passover lamb, the Israelites uh, getting out of, of, of Egypt and going into the wilderness. And when they're in the wilderness looking for the promised land, they come across the rock of Horeb, um, Exodus 17, and the first seven verses. And we read here, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rebidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us? Or not. In the past, you know, when, I, when, I, when I've read when I've read how the Israelites grumbled and quarrelled, and I think that's quite a British way of saying it, because that's quite angry grumbling. If if Moses is is scared for his safety, that's that's a bit more than grumbling. That's full on riots of thousands of people thirsty. That's not just oh, I'm a bit thirsty. I, I've kind of, you know, if you could do something, Moses, about it. This is full-on riot is about to go on, and Moses could be taken to a pit and stoned. You know, this is, you know, and I, and I, look at, I used to look at this and go, what are these guys on? How could they grumble? How could they grumble? Have they not seen what God has done in front of their eyes? Casting darkness across the land, killing cattle, casting the Nile into blood. How can they grumble when they've seen this? When they've seen how powerfully God's worked? You know, we think, how could the disciples or, or Peter deny Christ when he's seen what Jesus did? I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be grumbling. No, I, I, <laughs> no way. If I was there and saw what they saw, no way would I be grumbling. But come on, I would. I would, because I'm human. I'm flawed, you know. You know that is sometimes how... Uh, humans together, people together. You get a group of people together, they'll find something to grumble about normally. But God was, was, was really, you know, just, just, just in this. I think just teaching them uh, a lesson that, that, that we'll get to. But I think, you know, I, I can sometimes dismiss when we hear about the grumbling and the, uh, the, the, the quarrelling. Uh, you know, say, oh, I wouldn't react like that. I wouldn't react like that if I was in that situation. But I think if hearts of hearts, I, I probably would. But it's interesting what, uh, what we read here. God doesn't say to Moses, take your staff and strike the rock. He says, take the staff with which you struck the Nile. There's that subtle reminder there. That, that staff that you 
placed in the Nile and you saw turn to blood. That staff that you've held in your hand and you've seen maybe turn to a snake, presume it was the same staff. You've, the staff you led the hundreds of thousands out of bondage, the staff that, is, that I have worked within you. That, that, that reminder, that expectation I have met with you. I have worked powerfully with you as a people. You know, through this symbol and through this object of a staff, which is not no particular importance, but it's that reminder, that expectation. Remember when I was, when I was a teenager, we used to go to a, a youth camp in Weymouth, and we did prayer walks. And there was this old, old church uh, with, a, with a, a font uh, outside of it. And we were there the first year. We, we, we got there. We thought it was quite a picturesque scene to maybe hold our hands around and pray and you know, see, see where it goes. Um, and that was the first year. And, and God, for whatever reason, you know, just as we were there together around that font, God met with us powerfully. We, that's where we saw breakthrough, where we saw spiritual gifts being imparted, where we see God speaking directly to teenagers and, and people of that age. So then when we went there a second year and a third year, of course, there was nowhere else we were going to go. We went to that font where God had met us. There was that expectation again. It wasn't holy ground. There was nothing special really around this font. But in our hearts and in our minds and our experience, it built faith. It built expectation because that is where God met with us powerfully, where we where we saw relationships deepen, spiritual gifts being matured and evolved. Now it's, it's a subtle thing in there about that staff. But when we can grumble, when we can quarrel and think, you know, as the Israelites, as the Israelites did, you know, at the end here, you know, asking, is the Lord among us or not? <clears throat> For us individually, think of those times, those staffs, those fonts those periods, those places, those situations, those meetings where God has met with you powerfully, where there's been breakthrough, where there's been a deepening of your relationship. Because that's something, that, as I said at the start, God is in the business of doing every single day. And God actually answered that question quite dramatically. When they asked, is God among us or not? Paul, hundreds of years later, to the church of, of Corinth, in, in 1 Corinthians, we read an answer to this. He talks about uh, our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, talking about the Israelites coming out of, of Egypt. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Christ was there. Maybe not necessarily in that, in that rock, but Christ accompanied them. The Spirit of the Lord was with them. When they cried out, is God with us or not? Emphatically, he was. Which then came into fruition for him sending his one and only Son. And we can understandably, in where we're at, cry out, scream out, shout out, where are you, God? Where are you in this situation? 
For the Israelites, he was there as their spiritual rock, holding them together, the rock in its steadfast nature. A rock to build your life upon. A rock to hold on to. When you want to cry out to God, why or where are you? Jesus Christ is our rock on which we can cling on to and build our life upon. And out of this rock, we, we, we read, came physical water for the Israelites to drink. But here, Paul talks about a spiritual drink, a, a spiritual water. In chapter 4 of John's Gospel, we read about a Samaritan woman at a well. Jesus, a Jewish man, would never have spoken to her. One, she was a woman. Two, she was a Samaritan. But they had a conversation. They had a conversation. And the wisdom that Jesus brought, the, the insight that he gave, got her question of, who is this man? Who is this man? She came to the well just for, just for the water, for her, for, for family perhaps. But Jesus answered, to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. When we think about the Israelites, they would have had physical signs of thirst. You know, they would have had a, a, a dry throat, thick tongue, sore head, weak knees. You know, some very clear signs that they need some water. And it's the same for spiritual thirst. For spiritual thirst. You know, what are the signs? They could be stuff like undue worry and stress. Anger issues flaring up in a temper. Constant, consistent feelings of shame, guilt and, and separation. Yearning for something bigger and greater than yourself. A sense of emptiness. Never feeling truly satisfied. Maybe something that you just can't put your finger on. A dull, a dull ache that you, you just can't identify. Difficult to truly be happy and content on a day-to-day -day basis. Those are things that people throughout the Bible felt. Especially this woman who was shunned because of the history she had. She probably identified with a lot of those signs of a spiritual thirst that Jesus was really concerned with to come alongside, for her to come to him and take this spiritual living water that brings a, a, a spring abundance of life and leads to eternal life. But when I think about normal thirst, when you're quite active, and it can especially happen when you're younger, I remember my mum always telling me when you're running about or playing football, you know, to come in and have a drink, you know, just come in and, and have some water. When you're active and, and, and you know, doing exercise or, or playing games, you can sometimes forget to drink. You sometimes don't even realise that you're thirsty. So I, I, really, I really felt a sense of the same can be said for, for spiritual thirst. Either we're busy with life, but specifically for guys here that, that serve, 
a lot in this church, day to day, week by week. When was the last time you stopped? Stopped and drank from the well. Drank this spiritual living water. You can really keep yourself busy, your mind occupied, your time occupied, without actually stopping to say, I need to drink, I need to rest in my Father God and take in this spiritual living water that he freely gives out. Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus doesn't just want to give us some of this water. doesn't want to give us a, a, a bit of it. We all need it, whoever we are. Whoever we are, whatever we are, whatever role we play outside, inside a church, we all need it. We all need that rest, that, 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 that uh, quenching of spiritual thirst. And we think about water you may have a, a feeling of, well, I'll dip my toe, maybe a bit of a paddle, and that's fine, that's fine. But know that your Father God wants to engulf you in this living water, wave after wave. Because I, there's, we can't do it in our own strength. I've got, there's, there's you know, this, this, just preparing for this preach, this month has been, at, particularly at work, just and, and uh, the busiest, busiest. I'm doing two jobs. I'm going through an interview process where Piper's learned how to get out of her cot, so we've had to put her in a bunk bed. You know, it, you know, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. This month, I, I'm just waiting for May 31st and getting into June. This whole month, lit the craziest, busiest month I think I've ever had. I couldn't do it if I didn't rest. Preparing for this preach, all I've done really is just, is just listen, just, just uh, sing worship songs, just rest in him, just draw in from water. There's no other way I could have done it. There's no other way. There's no other way that you can serve the way that you do as powerfully, as effectively as God wants you to do outside and inside of church in all areas of your life. In all areas of your life, there's no way we can do it without taking time to rest, to take in this spiritual living water that he wants to engulf us in. So I'll just ask for the, the band to come up um, again. Now, I was saying about putting this into practice if you go to any Salvation Army churches, what you'll find at the front of the church, just, just, be, just, just around here, there's the speaker, the preacher will be preaching. You'll have just in front what they call a mercy seat. could be an altar-type altar structure um, or a long kind of bench. 
But they called it a mercy seat. Every Sunday, the band would play, songs would be sung. Uh, the, uh, the church leader, the officer would get up and preach. And every week, it wasn't, wasn't talked about, but everyone in that church knew that if you were going to do business with God, if you wanted to come to him, this is where you came. And you stood and you knelt. And no one sort of came and, and you know, necessarily prayed with you. It was individual. It was, it was personal. It was, I'm going to come. Come forward and do business with God. I'm going to lay down those rocks, those burdens, those stresses. Leave them here at the mercy seat. And I'm going to cling on to the rock of Christ. And I'm going to receive all that is good in this world. All good and perfect gift is going to, I am going to be given. That water of life that revitalizes, that refreshes, that restores. Jesus says, come to me. And I it, just, hear, just hear this loving, gentle reminder, especially to people that serve a lot within this church. Come and rest. Come and receive this living water. Of course, people come and pray for you, but I think initially it's just a personable thing for you to come, and we'll make some, we've got some space here, just come in across here and just take, take and receive, lay down those rocks, take the living water, hear, experience, feel what God is saying and wanting to do through you. Jenny and the band are going to play, uh, play a song. I invite you to come and meet with Jesus. That physical, uh, physical sort of demonstration. It's not to say, it's nothing more, no, that, that's, this is no more holy than over here. No, of course not. But just a physical act of coming to Jesus, saying, and, and publicly saying, I want to do business with God. I want to do business with God and I want to receive this living water.